Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth, stepping in once again for Richard Fay. I'm sure he'll be back very, very soon. Um, but I'm delighted to be joined once again by our Chief United writer Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, good afternoon. And hello to our senior football writer Tyrone Marshall who joins us again. How are you Ty? Hello, I'm very good, thank you mate. Very good. Ex- excellent. Um, so we'll be looking a little bit at that Sheffield United game in midweek which saw United record a comfortable win. We'll talk very briefly about Liverpool's title win, which was obviously confirmed on Thursday night, and talk a little bit about the Norwich game coming up this weekend in the FA Cup. I suppose only one place to start, though, Samuel, and that was a, an absolutely sweltering Old Trafford on Wednesday evening and a, a pretty comfortable performance from United and Anthony Martial, impressing in particular. It was a lot more comfortable than uh, I expected. I, I did think United would win, but Sheffield United just seems to have had the stuffing stuffing knocked out of them since uh, that that ghost goal against against Aston Villa. They were abysmal at the weekend. They were probably even worse than this one. And Solskjaer was right to suggest that United were lackadaisical and that they should have won by a much a much bigger margin. Um, hearing talking to some of the Sheffield United guys um, who, who cover the club at the stadium, they were pretty much resigned to losing the game due to the absence of key personnel and the team that Solskjaer went with. I think the front six is probably just about the best United can field in terms of um, players per position. Uh, I think Matic is, is so key. I know it wasn't a, a difficult game for him, but I thought he was quality. I thought he was a real unsung performer in that game on Wednesday. Um, he's just he's just the ideal supplement for Fernandes and Pogba. It, it will be different if he's coming up against more intense teams. I think in that case, they might have to switch back to McTominay. And McTominay has to you know, just hold the fort there in front of, front of the defence. But I was really impressed by Matic. But of course, the, the piece was led on, on the French connection, if you like, in that Pogba up until Marshall didn't the ball over Simon Moore was, you know, the, pretty much forming the crux of my piece. But Marshall Marshall just became um, the absolute centre of it, and, and rightly so. Uh, you know, season best haul of goals, uh, first first Premier League hat trick by a United player since Van Persie on that title night in April 2013, which is just, just mad, really, that they could go that long without someone scoring a hat trick in the Premier League. But th- I think the thing about Marshall was that it was the type of performance of him from him, not just because he scored a hat trick, but it was the type of performance you just don't associate with him. Even if he just scored two goals in that game, the manner of the goals, those runs, um, the anticipation, the instinctiveness of his finishing, that's what he's got to do more of. And it's it's strange in that, certainly before the game, I, I just double-checked his goal-scoring stats for the season. And he was roughly averaging a, a goal per game, and he's up on that now. I think he's got 19 in 36 uh, following the hat-trick. So even before the game the other night, his goal scoring ratio for a player who um, has not played regularly at, at number nine in recent years was was very very respectable. And this was a player who spent a couple of not a couple of months out. Um, was it a couple? Of, it, I think it was close to two months anyway at the start of the season. But he's really vindicated that desire to to actually ask for the number nine shirt after Lukaku left in the summer. And the key now for him is that he's got to kick on. He's got to keep on scoring more goals like that. Solskjaer's been you know, going on about it um, in, in a number of press conferences that he wants to see Rashford and Marshall score scrappy goals. And it is really surreal that, however, you've got the mitigation of something like the Europa League, but 
the front three of Greenwood, Rashford and Marshall have actually outscored Liverpool's front three, which is, is, is probably just about the best front three around in world football. So it was it was just as it went as well as it could have done for United, and especially when you're subbing those five players off with 10 minutes to go at the end. Um, it did have a real pre-season feel about it. Yeah, nice early dig there. Liverpool with a front three uh, goal-scoring record as well, Samuel. So I'm pr- impressed with that. But, oh, I, um, wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say it was a dig. I mean, I, I no, don't no, think obviously. I don't. I really don't think any. I don't think Liverpool would accept any of United's front three um, in in their front three. Um, it's probably just the marker where United's front three are at it, in terms it is, of potential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and unsurprisingly, I think Tyrone Solskjaer more impressed with the first two Martial goals and the third, which is. Perhaps more eye-catching for the fans with the with obviously the flick from Fernandez and the ball through from Rashford, but it was it's that instinctive finishing that that Samuel's talking about that that we've been looking from to see from Martial for for the past season since Solskjaer obviously took that big risk in in not signing a, a genuine number nine if you like to replace him last, uh, to replace Lukaku last summer. Yeah, definitely. You know, those are exactly the type of finishes that he, he has wanted Martial to do. It's the the Solskjaer s finishes really that he's um, he's been after. Yeah, you, you think you think that. Obviously, there's there's potential for for United to to go after a striker. They've been linked with with strikers um, for a while now. But I guess Martial's proving, and the fact that Igalo is there as well, that they maybe don't necessarily need an extra man in there. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they need a, a world class striker. That that's for sure. I think with, with Greenwood coming through as well, um, you know, you, you want to give him a chance. Martial is is certainly stepping up to the plate. You want competition in there, but you know, we, we saw them linked with with Vern before he went to Chelsea, but. I certainly don't think that area of the pitch is a priority for United at the moment with, with Greenwood coming through and, and Martial scoring the goals he has. He's, he's one of those players, Martial, that still gets questioned. And in certain games, he, he probably doesn't give you enough for what you want for, for a United number nine. But he's certainly influencing games more and more. Like we say, his, his first two finishes were exactly... It wasn't just the finishes, it was the positions he was in, really. He's, when you watch him play centre-forward and Igalo play centre-forward, you see that Igalo spends virtually all his time in the penalty box and... Martial spends a lot of time outside the box and, and as Solskjaer would say, you're not going to score goals often from, from outside the box if you're a centre-forward. So it wasn't just the, the finishes, it was the fact he was in that position and in that centre-forward position near the six-yard box, bang in front of the goal and as a centre-forward, that's where you're going to get most of your chances. Yeah, exactly. And maybe Marcus Rashford probably a little bit disappointed that he wasn't on the score sheet as well after one particularly uh, poor miss in the first half. Do you think, Samuel, you mentioned that that Solskjaer wasn't entirely happy with the performance, that he did want a little bit more, and he obviously challenged United to produce that in the games to come. Do you, what do you think is missing from from the sort of complete display that, that he's obviously looking for from United? It's uh, a difficult question. I, I suppose just maybe quality of finishing, players being a bit more alert. I mean, Igalo, again... He, I think every time he's come on in the game, pretty much, he's he's had a chance to score and he's, he's still not scored when coming on um, in games and the, the, yeah, he should have made it 4-0 at the end. I think Rashford's performance level since he did, um, since, since he came back against Tom last week, has, has not been good, frankly. I know he got a couple of assists the other day and there's a nationwide love in with him at the moment after, uh, you know, he pretty much bested the Prime Minister but if you're judging him on the football I don't think he's actually played particularly well and there's you know there's an element of understanding there in that he's he's been out since since mid-January and you know players return in different ways I think Pogba is a kind of player who he can go long periods without playing he comes back and he's such an athlete 
and Rashford's an athlete as well, but Pogba is just a different level and maybe he's got a bit more confidence about him and you're playing in a different position. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this, but... Um, you get the bleepers. Yeah, Harry Maguire did um, was you know came out with a quote of the match when he uh, said to Luke Shaw, "Fucking wake up, eh?" Uh, after Shaw was a bit dozy and in, in reacting to the ball, so th- there were times like that where they were a little bit slow to the ball, and I-, I think that's probably the case with with most of the teams really. I mean, even City uh, last night. City were excellent in their first two games after the restart, but um, the Benjamin Mendy uh, love affair has not lasted long. And the, just his defending for Pulisic's goal was was endemic of of the old Mendy. So there is an element of of players slackening off, and I think the just the sheer absence of an atmosphere that that can have an impact at times. You, you're not sometimes you're not on on edge as much as you would like to be, but. It is down to the players to you know give them, give themselves that edge. I mean, Fernandez in the first minute the other day was on Maguire's case, asking him why he hadn't played the ball uh, forward centrally. And not every player is of you know, Fernandez's mentality isn't as urgent as him, uh, isn't as demanding as him. Um, and I think it's encouraging for United that they've not only got a brilliant player in um, into the squad in Fernandez, but he is someone who is pretty much demanding other teammates uh, are as vocal as he is and try to have that edge about them in order to be better better than they are. Yeah, Solskjaer's been looking for leaders in his squad for some time, so I guess that's that's refreshing. Uh, on that top four challenge, obviously, the, talking about the City game last night, before we talk about uh, the consequences it had for the, the destination of the Premier League title, that was actually quite a, quite a damaging result for United to see Chelsea pick up three points in a game United probably would have hoped City would have got something from. It's five-point gap still. Uh, Chelsea looking in, in reasonably good shape. And United, really, that message about consistency from Solskjaer is, is going to have to be heard if, if United are going to catch Chelsea up in the in the next few games' time. Yeah, it is. Um, but I think it's almost two targets now for United in that top four because Leicester have had two relatively disappointing results you would say since they came back draws with Watford and Brighton who are both struggling and you look at their fixtures now they've got a really really tough run compared to United who've got really a very comfortable next six Premier League games and also they play each other on the final day of the season I think the gap there at the moment is six points to Leicester Um, so you'd need to make up four points to have it in your hand going into the last day and I think looking at the fixtures I think that's perfectly acceptable in the form United are in and if they want to lay down a marker for next season, they should be looking to win the next six, probably. And I think if you take five wins from that and a draw, maybe, then I think you'd be within four points, within two points, at the very least of Leicester. So there is there is still hope there. Um, it, it, it was a blow for United in more ways than one, obviously, last night. And I think they'd have been expecting Chelsea certainly not to win and, and to drop points. And I mean, seeing Chelsea behind at Villa as well, it's you know it's a little bit of a, a kick in the teeth the way they've the way they've got those two victories, two victories, but. I certainly think Leicester are looking vulnerable in third now, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if United caught them. But but all United can do really is is keep winning, and this this run of fixtures now I think is important because it's the time kind of games they've slipped up in at times this season. But on on the way they're playing, the form they're in at the moment, they really should be looking to to go and win five of the next six, if not six of the next six. Yeah, I was thinking about this this run of games United have obviously got now with like you say, Ty, a few winnable games: Bournemouth, Villa. Crystal Palace, West Ham, and you think maybe earlier in the season when United weren't winning these games and they went to Old Trafford against some of these teams, they might tighten up, they might feel the 
the anxiety of the crowd. And then in those away games, a place like Villa Park, they may feel the hostility of the away crowd and, and be cowed a little bit as they maybe were at places like Sheffield United and Newcastle earlier in the season. Do you think, Samuel, that maybe these behind closed doors games can can free up the United players to just to just play players they can play and on, on ability, they should be beating these teams? Oh, absolutely. I mean, home advantage for some of these teams has gone out the window. Carrow Road uh, can be not hostile, but they did beat City at home earlier in the season. And I would imagine that the crowd you know, played a pretty big part in unnerving someone like John Stones, although it doesn't really take much to unnerve John Stones these days. But United, I think they've dropped 23 points against teams in the bottom half of the table, which is a pretty wretched record. But it does seem like they've... I mean, they are a different team to that team that were dropping points in the first half of the season, or mainly in the first half of the season. Uh, Pogba's fully fit. They've got Fernandes now. They're a much more bullish side. They're a much more assertive side as well. I think their use of the ball, um, there's, there's an incision about them that was lacking a lot of the time in certainly those first, I think in the first 14 league games, they only had four wins. It was a pretty dismal run of form and, and Solskjaer was under the cosh before, of course, they had that week against Tottenham and City in early December and they won the two games. So, I mean, I know that, 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 that you know, the, the plod, I think, is the best way to describe him. Mark Roberts was talking about neutral venues. I mean, he's kind of got it in a way in that Norwich have had these two games at Carrow Road, lost both of them. Uh, it would be a major shock if they somehow beat United in, in the cup quarterfinal because they just look out of sorts. They were a championship team that pretty much got into the Premier League and planned to return to the championship. I know it's a it's a cruel way of saying it and sometimes there's no right or wrong way of going about it because you've got on the flip side Villa who have spent an absolute fortune and are about six points ahead of Norwich and maybe just a, a place above them in the in the table. So from one extreme to the other, neither neither of those approaches have worked. But I was quite taken about that Norwich just got up and decided, you know, we're we're out of our depth here. We're just going to enjoy it and then we're going to go back to the championship. And you don't know when they'll get back into the Premier League. Um, the whole you know, Stuart Webber era might, might might you know end sooner rather than later. I think he's made it quite clear he'd like to um, uh, you know have a new challenge elsewhere at some stage. So um, these these teams they they are not as intimidating as as they might otherwise have been. And, and somewhere like Villa Park as well. I know Villa have been atrocious this season, but it's another ground that I mean they've not hosted United in nearly five years. It's a, it would have been a big occasion for them, but instead it's. It plays to United's advantage, and it's not necessarily uh, a reliable gauge of whether United have overcome this this you know big game now small time mentality thing they had going under Solskjaer because they are is that they are playing teams on on what feels like neutral venues a lot of the time. Yeah, I guess the only, I guess the only caveat is that a few of those teams you think West Ham uh, and Bournemouth challenging for relegation or challenging to to get out of the relegation scrap and Villa as well. Um, United, we're obviously talking about a top four challenge here. Solskjaer was asked in his press conference this morning about the Liverpool title win and maybe how long it will be before United can be challenging again for for such a thing. Tyrone, it feels a little bit of an immaterial debate to me at the moment because you know you can only do what you can do and you, you can't run before you can walk. United at the start of the season didn't expect to challenge for the title and they're not. What do you think about about Solskjaer even being asked about this? And I guess what else can he say other than, you know, we've got to try and get there. 
Yeah, I suppose it just comes with, with the territory, really, of, of managing Manchester United. People expect Manchester United to be challenging for the title, and now for seven years that they haven't had a title challenge. So it's kind of, you know, it, it comes with the territory. I'm sure Solskjaer will be used to it. Um, they certainly wouldn't expect a challenge for the title this year. I think it would be a surprise if they challenge next year, but it's probably not inconceivable. The, the problem for United, and for any team really now, is that Liverpool and City over the last three years have, have rewritten how you win the Premier League. Previously, you could lose five, six, seven games and, and still think you've got a decent chance of winning it. Now, every single slip-up is potentially costly. You know, we're looking at you know, City won it with 198, 100 points and then 98 points. Liverpool are, are going to get close, if not surpass that this season. And it's kind of, it, to win the league now, you'd expect those standards to be pretty similar next season. So the improvement United would have to find is is massive, really, from one season to the next, which is what it's going to make is what's going to make it difficult for them. It, it's partly, I think, why these next six games are kind of a, almost a bit of a litmus test for them for for next season. Because if you've got aims of winning a title next season, the season after, and the standards remain the same, and you need close to 100 points, then you can't afford to lose more than one or two at the most games, and you have to beat the teams that you should beat. And United should beat the next six teams that they're going to play. So. If they do that, maybe we'll talk about it and think, well, is, is there a chance here, if they get the transfer business right, that they could really close that gap considerably? Um, but it, it's not like now where you're looking at late 80 points would win you the title or, or low 90s. It, it's a different ball game. The, the standards have risen um, remarkably, and, and that's what United have got to reach. And, you know, they, they were, the, I thought the performance on Wednesday against Sheffield United was one you could say was worthy of a title challenge yet. The, the real challenge for United is doing that week in, week out and, and finding the consistency that for two years City had and, and for this year that Liverpool have had. Yeah, I guess a big reason, Samuel, for those mammoth points total that City and Liverpool have, have been able to rack up is how poor your four, fifth, sixth teams like United have been and how, how they have, haven't been able to bridge that gap. And that, that's the first challenge before you even consider trying to finish first or second to, to get close to those two. They, they could easily uh, reel in Leicester between now um, at the end and the end of the season. Leicester, I think, have only got one win in seven in the last in their last league games. Um, and I think, as you said earlier, they're only Ty said earlier they're only six points ahead of United. I mean, that's that's a real drop off in form, and it's quite interesting that United are due to go to Leicester on the final day of the season as well. Um, so that that could be a particularly big game if Leicester are still above United and. United can can leapfrog them and uh, you know get in the Champions League through through that way. Um, it, it has got to the point at the risk of these words coming back to haunt me, where I mean it just does feel like I can't see a way that United won't be in the Champions League next season, be it finishing in the top four, winning the Europa League, or the Court of Arbitration for Sport um, upholding City's appeal. I think the best case scenario for City is just a one-year ban that it's halved, uh, in which case they're, they're not in it next year and the fifth-place team um, qualify for the Champions League. And I think for United now, the only threat to that is is Wolves, who have crept up out of nowhere, really, and are on a very good run, have a decent fixture running as well. Um, and I think their level of on points really nice at the moment. So that they have got a bit of heat from Wolves, and it's that that is going to be again a test of their metal. I don't think Tottenham can really generate the momentum to go on a run and go above Wolves, go above United, um, and go above possibly Chelsea as well between now and the end of the season. So United are on a on upwards uh, curve, and they have been pretty much since uh, the the Tranmere game in late January. They've not exactly. Um, 
you know, made, maintained momentum since the restart, but prolonging the unbeaten run is is good going. They again, I thought they were very creditable in the way they performed at, at Tottenham last week. Um, having Pogba back is is huge for them, and every meaningful player is fit at the moment. Um, you know, if Phil Jones is injured, it's a case of well, who cares really? I mean, I think he started two league games all season, and one of them he was pulled off at half time at Sheffield United. So. Um, they're they're going in the right direction at the moment. They could win things this season as well. It could be a very very successful season. It could it could be the most successful season since um, since Ferguson retired. But it could also be a very unsuccessful season. There there are just so many variables as we keep talking of uh, on just just about every podcast. Yeah, you think United have probably got the most to play for? Maybe out of all the Premier League teams, uh, still still going for something. Is it a case of we've we've had this debate? In the in the years since the Ferguson era, how many transfers United need to challenge? Is it four, five, six? We've heard in the past Gary Neville and Roy Keane have gone on these rants on Sky Sports about how many signings they need. It seems to me that they don't need so many now, and that it is you know maybe two or two or three or even less than than that. I don't know what either of you think. Well, I think it shows that the value of, of good recruitment and and that is what's going to win your titles at the moment. We've you know, Solskjaer's recruitment has been absolutely sensational. It's it's by far the, the best trait he's brought to the club so far. He's, his success rate at the moment is 100%. And we've seen the impact Fernandes had. And it it's kind of what's propelled Liverpool to the title as well. Their recruitment has been sensational. And if United can, can follow that and achieve that, then I, I don't think they're they're far off. I mean, I wrote a piece after the, the game on Wednesday that if you, if you throw Sancho into that front five, say, of Pogba Fernandes, uh, Rashford, Martial and Sancho, then I don't think it's much of a leap of faith to imagine that front five getting very close to winning a, a Premier League title. You might need a little bit more squad depth, but the, the improvement we've seen over the last four or five months in, in this side and the impact, the, I mean, the impact Fernandes has had is, is a perfect example in that one player for £47 million has, has transformed that team in, in the way they attack. So it shows that even just one or two new signings can have a huge impact. Liverpool did it with with Van Dijk and Allison, and United have, have had it with Fernandez. So, I don't think in signings wise, I don't think they're far away. Even just just Sancho this summer, I think could could certainly get them in the conversation for for next season. Yeah, Sancho would be obviously the one, and the one we, we keep talking about and writing about. I wrote after the Sheffield United game that that maybe the the need for a midfield playmaker wouldn't be so pressing if if Pogba and Fernandez can play in the fashion that they are and. There's obviously depth there, Samuel and Fred and McTominay, who who can't get in at the moment, but who who we might see uh, against Norwich if, if Solskjaer does ring some changes. Would you agree on that on that sort of Sancho the priority and elsewhere maybe not as pressing? I'd still say they they do need another playmaker. I'd say a playmaker and a winger, um, midfielder. I think they can these, and I think they're prepared to effectively park plans for. Um, for an established midfielder, at least. Anyway, I know Jude Bellingham is a midfielder, but given his age and given where he has played at Birmingham this season, I think he's played pretty much as the um, like doubling as a as a striker in in one or two games. He he could very easily develop into an an attacker. He's got so much time on his um, to develop into that role. So I still think there's that they need to they can't get complacent there because you've got the scenario next year where I think it's very there's a very good chance that Pogba will eventually go next year. I think it's looking unlikely this year because of the pandemic. So if he goes next year, you need someone creative in that 
central area. Um, you might decide to let Mata go next year because he comes to the end of his two-year deal. There's the plus one option, but depending on how peripheral or involved he is, you might decide to get rid of him. And suddenly they look a little bit light in attack. And if Rashford's injured, it's a case of playing at the moment mainly Daniel James. Um, I think Daniel James over the last six months, I know uh, probably half, well, half of that part, um, there's not been any football, but certainly when he has been playing, he starts here to look more and more like um, a squad rotation player rather than a regular. He had a brilliant first part of the season with United. Um, he's been, you know, he's been worth the money. He's been a, a bargain signing. He'd have had to have been absolutely abysmal to be dubbed a flop because he was so he's such a cost efficient uh, purchase. So. But when you look at the actual depth that they have in attack, Igarlo is probably going to go back to China um, in the new year as well. Um, it's not an established, they're not, they're, not many of them are, are established players. And again, when you've got this scenario of the players who could go next year, you have got to prepare for that. And look, I think there's probably an acceptance there. And, and Raiola alluded to it um, with his Twitter tirade back in um, February when he was talking about what Solskjaer had promised Paul in the summer you suspect that was a kind of Fergie Ronaldo 2008 chat give me one more year then you can go to Madrid it's not quite worked out that way because there's been a global pandemic um but I would still imagine that Pogba wants to play for Real Madrid and he's going to be 28 next year he's going to be in his peak years it's a very good time to to get that move and he'll have one year left in his contract because they're not going to not trigger the extension in Pogba's deal it's you know fair enough leaving it dormant on Antonio Valencia or James Wilson but Paul Pogba is when he's on when he is on it he is a world-class player so as I said they need to be prepared for this uh, for the scenario where certain players certain key players certain players who've um, outstayed their welcome could move on next summer and rather than rushing to buy replacements in that summer which was a problem last year with uh, Herrera going and Lukaku going neither of whom were replaced at the time it's better to be ahead of the curve rather than playing catch up and running out of time in the transfer window Does does Chelsea's business raise maybe a concern for United as well with, with Ziyech and Timo Werner coming in there they, they seem to have made a really early statement and, and tried to get one up on their rivals before the, the windows even opened and it's going to be a tough window at that isn't it with a pandemic it is, yeah. I mean, it's impressive business from, from Chelsea, really, and it's a, it's a statement of intent. It, it's quite curious that they seem to have scaled back their spending in, in recent years. It looked like Abramovich was losing a little bit of interest and all of a sudden, at a point when every other club is is counting the cost of playing without fans and, and the pandemic, that Chelsea are finding some aggression again and suggest that they mean business under under Lampard. I would, I mean, you'd be surprised if Leicester repeated what they've done this season, especially if they lose Chilwell. I would think all, all it probably does is, depending on what, you can't see Tottenham spending much given the, the fact they've had to take out that loan, Arsenal look a million miles away. All it probably does is, is take us back to the days when there was a traditional top four and, and a big four. And if United, whatever business they do this summer, if they get it right, then you would kind of expect City, Liverpool, United and, and Chelsea to, to comfortably be the top four next season but obviously it's it shows that Chelsea mean business as well in in trying to get a title challenge going at some point themselves so it it adds to the to the dilemma there but in the short term I don't think it needs to be too much of a worry because I, I would imagine that Leicester would would struggle to match what they've done this season next season yeah I suppose yeah. it's difficult isn't it to predict these things I think I think with um with Chelsea I mean they were they weren't in last year because they couldn't sign anyone but 
because they couldn't sign anyone last year, they've they've that's given them the leverage to go out and, and get players like Ziek and, and Werner in. Werner is obviously is is the headline grabbing one because it looked like he was he was just destined for Liverpool. Even though I think there was always when you, when you looked at it objectively, it was always difficult to. Um, for Liverpool to justify going for a player like that when they've got the front three that they have, even though Werner is probably a better goal scorer than Firmino. I think Firmino is, is just about the complete number nine, apart from when it comes to goal scoring. He's, he's not a particularly great goal scorer. Um, but where Chelsea obviously went, went, went without signing anyone last year, they've been able to be active um, so far this year. I mean, it, it does, again... It's, it's worth saying because nobody else says it, but I know Frank Lampard is a massive media darling, but I, I am waiting for someone to objectively wonder what's happened to his plan of giving the Chelsea kids the chance and making them the centre of um, the, their next great side. I don't for one minute think that Tammy Abraham will be starting up front or ahead of Timo Werner next season. I don't think Callum Hudson-Odoi will be starting ahead of Ziyech as well. Um, Pulisic is hitting his stride as well. Um, this whole great revolution of using the uh, youth system at Chelsea to um, you know, get them back up the table again, it seems to have been abandoned as soon as the, the tap has been turned back on and they've gone out and signed players. And they're well entitled to do that. And that's been their, their identity ever since Bramovich's helicopter touchdown in 2003. But it does it does make me laugh that, again, because Lampard's good with the media and might know some of them on, on first name terms, he's not scrutinised for essentially not not out not completely abandoning the whole experiment in in the youth players because he's he's going to keep them all on board and they're going to be part of the squad. But there's, I mean, they're certainly not all going to be first teamers now. No, you can't imagine. So you you could name a pretty healthy Chelsea side without any of those youth players involved next season. You would have thought. Uh, we spoke about United's depth earlier on, and uh, obviously that's going to be tested this weekend. They play Norwich in the FA Cup quarter-final. Samuel, do you foresee wholesale changes for this one? I know Solskjaer did, did basically say in his press conference that there will be rotation. Yeah, I mean, you'd think Romero will have to come in for De Gea, given that uh, that he plays every FA Cup game, that he's... Just you know, he's deserving of of playing time. I think he should have played a league game ahead of De Gea by now. But I think if that was ever going to happen, it would have. So how well Romero might play at Norwich if he keeps another clean sheet. You know, he's, he's had so many with United already. He's not going to be starting at Brighton on Tuesday. Um, you know, and Solskjaer said a few changes. You could see you could see maybe more than 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 just three. I think Bai is another player who could come back in. Someone will come into the midfield. Matic is the kind of player that you would give a rest for this and prepare for Brighton, one of the forwards as well. Um, Igalo obviously scored two in the last round against Derby. Um, they don't need to majorly rotate. I think maybe keep it at four changes and it, you, you've got that rhythm still and it's not too drastic. And uh, you, you just don't want to underestimate Norwich. Maybe Norwich see the FA Cup as salvation in, in a season that they're destined to finish bottom of the league in. Tyrone, what would be your four changes then, if that's how many we're expecting on Saturday evening? Um, well, I think you've probably got to go with Nagalo ahead of, of Martial. It's an ideal time. I know he's got a hat-trick on, on Wednesday and would probably want to, to start and continue his goal-scoring form. But these are the games that Igalo's here for, really, to, to take pressure off, um, off Martial and give him a rest. Rashford would be an interesting one. Like Samuel said, he's not really hit 
top gear since he came back. So do you keep playing him in and try and give him some form or, or take him out? You could certainly have Greenwood and James out wide. Perhaps even you can match in one of those roles. You might see Chong coming in. Obviously, signed a new contract. We expect to be involved a little bit more. Hasn't featured yet, but could welcome off the bench. Um, I think we'll see changes in, in midfield, certainly. I think you've, you've got to expect Fred and McTominay to start. Having not started in um, having not started in midweek, I think it would make sense to start both of them and maybe a look at, at giving Brandon Williams a go at left-back as well and, and resting Luke Shaw. Well, that's about seven changes, Ty. That's about seven. Like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, we'll have to see, see how that pans out, obviously. A few alarm bells in the background of this call. Let's hope there are no alarm bells for United when they go to Carrow Road this weekend. Um, finally, gents, I'll just ask for a quick prediction from, from the pair of you for this game and whether United can make a Wembley semi-final. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I, I know you hate predictions. In the weeks. I, I know. I went 2-0 in the weeks, so I'll go with 3-0 this, this week, uh, this time. Uh, yeah, I think they'll win as well. I think they'll have... We, as we've already seen, they should have too much for Norwich. I think the way Norwich play and, and set up is so open suits United. So I'll go for another 3-1. Two confident predictions. We'll have to see how well they pan out when the game happens on Saturday evening. You can obviously follow all the coverage on the MEN's football pages. And remember to leave us a like and a subscribe on the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, but from myself, Tyrone and Samuel, that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us.